Hi, and welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. My name is Nikki Vo, and I'm your host. I am a boat owner, a marina owner, a director on the Marina Industries Association, and a huge advocate for boating. In this series, I'm sharing the stories from every nook of the boating industry with the intention of encouraging more women to join me and for more women to get behind the helm too. I want to share the experience and opportunities of boating, of the boating industry, and I want you to join me as I bring the conversations and answer all the questions you've had. Boating is not just for the glamorous and rich and famous. It's full of beautiful and interesting people making the most of our natural environment and getting out there, enjoying the waterways. So let's set off the lines, take over the helm and escape to the world of boating. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Boat Princess podcast. I am here in London today, which is very exciting for me because I love London. And I have in front of me Sophia Wilson, and she is the Digital Content Director. Correct. Of (laughs) Boat International. Very exciting. So, um, Sophia, tell me, what do you love about being in this role? I think, what, well, this, the thing that I love most about this role is my team. I've got an awesome team, um, all really excited about the different elements they look after. So basically, m- me and my team are responsible for all the digital content that Boat puts out there. So be that the editorial that you read or be that some of the advertorial and more partnership content that we do. So it's a huge range of content. And they're just all fabulous. They're, you know, really enthusiastic about yachting. Um, you know, it's a huge variety of where their interest comes from. So one of my team is Katya Damborski, who's actually the yacht writer on Instagram. So she's kind of an influencer in her own right. And then my online editor is Holly, who's just an absolute sailing geek. She just loves super yachts and sailing. And I just love that enthusiasm that they bring every day. So I think in my current role, that's the best thing. I think generally being in the industry, it's just given me so many incredible opportunities. I mean, I have been all over the world to places that I just, I can't think of another career that would have given me those kind of opportunities. Yeah, quite incredible, hey. And and as I always say, boats are never in ugly places, are they? No. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I don't know. Some of the shipyard tours are a little bit less, less glam. Oh, true, than true maybe, enough, true enough. you'd imagine. <laughs> that smell, I always get a bit, a bit happy about that smell of fiberglass, though. Yeah. I don't know about you. <laughs> Um, but no, generally, if you're on a boat, it's in a nice place. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty wonderful. Yeah. So this position you have now is an absolutely fantastic one. Let's explore how you actually got here. Yeah. Um, were you a, a boaty person as a child? Or? No. So I always joke that I'm a, I'm a total fraud <laughs> in the industry. I'm always very open about it, but I am. I am a total fraud. So my background actually very much comes from the journalism media side. Okay. Um, so actually, I used to compete horses pretty seriously. And that's what I thought I'd do with my life until I realized that probably wasn't going to work out financially terribly well for me. So my parents managed to talk me into going to university. Um, and part of that was I did actually take a horse to university with me to keep competing while I was Oh, wow. <laughs> that's a bit there. different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then at the end of university, I was like, no, actually, I think I think I need to do something properly. Um, so I did a master's in journalism back in London. 
and then I've always loved sport be it horses I also you know I used to sprint a lot I used to play hockey um my dad's a big rugby fan and uh he only had two daughters so I kind of took on the uh, <laughs> the rugby watching mantra for him so you know I've always loved kind of all all different types of sport um, so I started off in sports journalism because that was kind of my passion area. Um, that was with CNN, right? Yeah. So, yeah, one of my first opportunities was with CNN um, in their London bureau, which I still think is second to yachting is one of the best jobs I've had. Um, it was just so much fun. It was such a great team. Um, and again, similarly, incredible, different, but, really, you know, I interviewed Dan Carter once. I covered the NFL game in London and I was in the locker room with 30 naked American football players. Um, but yeah, similarly kind of offered up, you know, amazing opportunities. Uh, then I was with the Telegraph for what was then the London Olympics. Um, and then I worked for another kind of agency after that. And then I ended up at Time Inc, which owns numerous different magazines. Um, but I was kind of in their specialist sector, particularly on Horse and Hound, which obviously is a title everyone knows because of, <laughs> of Notting Hill. Hill. <laughs> Do you know, I was actually interviewed in that very suite uh, for when I worked at the Ritz. So when I when I went and um, did my interview to work for the Ritz, it was in that actual suite. And I do love that moment in Horse and Hound. That, yeah. that, so did, they, did anybody ever take you seriously when you walked into an interview and said, I'm from Horse and Hound? Well, I mean, I guess similarly, and I think a lot of people then, you know, wonder I handed up a boat. I guess seriously, they're very, in a way, they're similar publications that Horse and Hound in that industry is the kind of pinnacle publication of that industry. Absolutely. And yeah, I did, you know, in another way, I interviewed, you know, Olympic champions and everything. I interviewed people that I had posters of on my wall when I was, oh, <laughs> when I was like wonderful. a geeky, horsey girl growing up. Yeah. Um, so yes, in, yes, people did take you seriously. But yeah, as soon as you were out of that kind of equestrian bubble, no, you were an absolute laughing stock. Um, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Um, oh goodness and then yeah I heard about this job at boat it actually kind of came through my masters used to be quite good at you know if you'd done the degree there if you and I still do it now if I'm looking to bring someone into my team I email back who was my tutor and I say I'm looking for someone you know at this level to come in yeah and then they kind of email around the relevant age groups um, and that's how I first heard about this job at boat and I remember it coming around and being like yeah I could do I could do boats and I kind of thought like America's Cup and you know there's there's a kind of competitive element and I can see that and I was like oh I'll, you know I'll send an email and it it kind of went on and on and I just never thought I'd get the job because I just I thought there would be someone that was like I was for a questionism but with the yachting background and I was like you know there'd be so people that are so much more qualified um anyway for some reason both decided to to give me a chance I remember when I was given the job my mum said wasn't there anyone better darling oh ouch <laughs> mum um, but no, I started and I've just completely fallen in love with the industry and I'm now obviously very geeky about boats. I catch myself boring people at dinner parties, you know, telling them about super yachts. I so. know, it's great, isn't it? When you sit next to somebody at a dinner party and they say, what do you do? Yeah. And you explain to them, they go, oh, that is so much. I remember sitting next to somebody at a wedding once and I told him what I did and he said, oh, that's so much more interesting than what I do. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think a lot of my friendship group are kind of like accountants or lawyers, yeah. or, you know, which is very, very respectable, but it, yeah, it is a bit different. And actually I think Below Deck has helped with that because because there's a lot more people that I now talk to that, and it might be a slightly warped, you know, vision yep. of the CPO industry, but they Absolutely. do now know what the CPO industry is. And they're really into, you know, is it like below deck? Is it like what you see? Is it? So it has really kind of generated a, a wave of interest that I don't think I, I've definitely noticed that change, particularly, I guess, kind of post-COVID when everyone kind of binge watched yes. <laughs> below deck. Yeah. Kind of coming out of that. Yeah. As you say, at weddings and stuff, everyone's, everyone, you know, wants to know 
yeah, basically whether it's real or not. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, I agree with you. Below decks, although as you say, it's it's not quite how it is. Um, because it has to be mm. dramatic TV, right? Yeah. Um, but um, but the it has definitely revealed to the rest of the world kind of thing the super yacht space because it was quite secretive before that, wasn't it? Yeah. So I think it's. I mean, it's, it's really mixed views, and it's always going to be controversial, and it's, yeah, it's not the reality. But actually, I spoke to um, Captain Kelly Gordon. I don't know whether you've come across her, and she spoke really about well about it because she was like if it just means that more people potentially know that the industry is out there and it's something that they've become involved with, I don't think that can be a bad thing. And okay, maybe you get people wanting to come and be crew that aren't quite right. You know, they don't get the graft and everything that goes with it. But yeah. it, you might get that. But for every one person like that, you get someone who would never have considered or never known about the secret industry. And then hopefully you're broadening that talent pool that, that you're bringing in because that, that has to be a, a positive thing. Exactly. I mean, I started in five-star hotels and I, if I'd known that that world existed, mm. um, if I could go back and do my young life again, there's abs- I would have absolutely done that and gone on to super yachts because I would have loved it. Yeah, I think the same as well. I'd have loved to go on and be in crew, probably exterior rather than <laughs> interior. Yeah. <laughs> Ter- terrible at laying the table. Yeah. <laughs> much, much better and much more used to you on deck. But um, yeah, but no, I'd assume, you know, I'd have loved to go, you know, go and have those opportunities. So um, yeah, I think that that has to be a positive thing. But obviously, it's highly dramatized. And, you know, there are elements which I think are unhelpful. But they also they've got to make TV and people watch it. So they're doing they're doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So boat take you on. Boat take me on. Yeah. And um, and I, I, they're probably like me. They're higher based on attitude and, and um, energy and all those sorts of things as opposed to your knowledge because you can teach the knowledge. Yeah. It's it's the it's the it's the drive and the passion and the, the the ability in your talent of being a journalist that's actually really important. So they took that on. Um, what were the challenges that you faced at that point because it was new to you? I think I was always really acutely aware that it wasn't industry and that it did feel like a bit like a private not a private club that's the wrong word but I was really conscious that everyone was very talented at what they did and there was this lexicon and there was this way of speaking this way of doing things and there are certain kind of rules and etiquette things and I think I was really aware that I didn't necessarily have that and I worked really hard to learn that and watching obviously now what I do is quite a lot of recruitment and bringing people into the business and it is really interesting the people that see potentially come from outside of yachting and there are certain people that I think yeah really dedicate and learn and then they absolutely fly and then there are some people where it's just it is too much to get to grips with but I remember being really conscious of that I went to Genoa Boat Show about three or four weeks into the business um, and I was meant to be going with someone and they had to pull out last minute and I went on my own and was just absolutely terrified I like locked myself in the loo and cried on the first morning because oh, I no. thought I thought I don't know what this industry is I don't I didn't understand you know because you've got this whole dock and you're like am I allowed on the boats am I not allowed on the boats like what you know what earth am I meant to be doing at yeah. this show um anyway luckily a family friend actually was a charter manager and she was like oh I'm, I'm looking after this boat come and see and then I did that and then as soon as you start to meet people and know people and obviously boat is so well known in the brand as soon as you you know say I'm from boat then all you know everyone's super friendly but I think it is quite daunting and I'm really conscious with that now with you know juniors coming into the business it is really really daunting that first boat show yeah and it also does feel in a nice way everyone does kind of know everyone but if you're then from the outside that's kind of doubly daunting when you're you know you're stood on the dock thinking everyone knows everyone I don't know anything yeah everything else but yeah and it can be I mean even at, at um, myself I know boats inside and out and I'm very well connected throughout the boating industry but even I 
in Dubai boat show because I didn't know people on the boats. I felt that um, because it can be a little bit, sometimes they can be a little bit, you're not coming onto this boat-ish. Yeah. Right? And it can be, um, so even I get knocked by it every now and then. And I'm, you know, I've been in this business a long time. So um, so I totally get that. It's totally understandable. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's hard. I don't think it's being done by anyone deliberately trying to be difficult. But, you know, obviously they're stood on this multi-million pound asset and they, you know, it's a show for a reason to promote it for charter or sale, or, you know, whatever it's at that show for. So they obviously are trying to get the right people on the boat. And, you yeah. know, if they don't know you from Adam, obviously they're not yes. saying like, come on board but it yeah. it yeah it can be quite daunting when you're first kind of start starting out in the industry definitely or when you find yourself yeah and that's slightly different as you say Dubai is potentially a, a slightly different crowd yeah suddenly it can feel yeah you kind of go back to that level of it being really daunting yeah again. yeah and you're thinking oh oh hang on yeah. and 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 as I say um we do understand it at a different level because we know that boat's by owned by somebody yeah. and they're protecting it at the same time as showing it which can be really tricky yeah yeah so it's uh yeah it's a different world so you've done that first boat show. I did that first boat show. I, yeah, I uh, yeah locked myself in the loo, had a cry, then I pulled myself together. No, it all it all got better from there on in. Um, I can't think what my next. I can't remember if I did Monaco that year. I remember my first Antigua show. Um, kind of feeling like, all right, no, okay, this is it. I think Antigua's just so much more relaxed. It's just before Christmas. You know, everyone's. It's also industry only, so it's a lot more relaxed in terms of the security element of it. Um, and yeah, then, then that was a lot more fun. Um, yeah. and things things continued from there. So I then, uh, so when I first joined, I joined as online charter and destinations editor, um, kind of just looking after that specific part of the website, which we'd actually just done a whole website relaunch. So it was kind of trying to build that part of the website. Um, Let's just go back to that a minute. Where, um, you say relaunch, because I know Boat International was actually started in what, 1983, something like yeah, that. So it's our 40th anniversary. Oh my yeah. goodness, that is so good, isn't yeah. it? Um, but I know you kind of did a rejig and a rethink of, of what you were at some yeah. stage. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so that was it was just before I joined. Um, so I came to help with kind of the digital side of that. But yeah, just before I joined, so the Monaco Yacht Show before I joined, um, and I've now been here eight years. Um, we It was relaunched kind of it's, you know, Boat has always been the kind of Bible of super yachting. It's always been a big, chunky publication, um, but it was kind of relaunched with this idea of combining super yachts, but also the lifestyle that goes with it for super yacht owners. So as well as having obviously all the fabulous yacht reports that we have, also including fashion, jewellery, cars, watches, um, a bigger kind of travel element as well, um, interiors and design. So the idea is that, or how I like to see it is a kind of, you know, an owner on a yacht. Yeah, he can read all about the yachts, but it's also or she can read all about the yachts. It's also that whole kind of lifestyle that goes with it. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, a lot of the products or cars, whatever we're talking about, it's a very niche audience that that connects to. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, it's been incredibly, as ever, I think when it was first relaunched, there was a, you know, the, in the industry, there was a little bit of pushback, but not really. And I think since then, it's just, it's grown and grown. And, you know, that, for me, the telltale sign, and it's basically every CPR I walk onto, there's always Boat International on there. Love and that. that. Yeah. love that and yeah. that you know that's a sign that it, it's it is the publication that, that people want to read and that that's yeah. really satisfying absolutely and presumably it's a very aspirational yeah i think so well. so interestingly my father-in-law before i even worked at boat has always bought boat international for a long-haul flight and he is you know he's never going to own a super yacht but he just loves that kind of being able to look at it and you know see inside and kind of see see elements of that lifestyle so yeah there's definitely an aspirational element as well yeah and hopefully kind of that whole funnel from kind of aspirational 
And then, you know, kind of charterers or people that are maybe kind of coming into the industry and, you know, post-COVID as well, we're definitely seeing a big influx of new, you know, first-time buyers or people who potentially haven't had any connection with yachting anymore. So hopefully it's also kind of a way of familiarizing them. And then obviously you have your kind of, you know, your hardcore boat readers that have read it forever and they, you know, they predominantly are super yacht owners. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a fabulous magazine. I mean, it's very, it, and it is that, um, you know, can for a moment there sitting and having a cup of tea, you can escape into luxury basically, yeah. isn't it? You yeah, know? yeah, definitely. Incredible. So when you go to Boat Show, what, what, what do you actually do at Boat Show in, in your role? Um, I mean, it depends. I've had various different roles at Boat. So in my current role, um, I kind of do a bit of a mixture of everything. So... Uh, we host a number of events at boat shows. So we have um, our owners club, which is now over 300 super yacht owners. Wow. Which is from 24, 25 different nationalities. So at the big shows, um, so Monaco, Flips, um, Palm Beach, we host private events for them. So we do a big drinks party. And that's them. something they pay to go to or that's something no, no, they're no, invited the to only? No, something they're invited to as part, as part, of, as part of the owners club. Um, so obviously kind of attending those and making sure that that's all working. I tend to do a lot of, uh, running the media, obviously those events are, and our own parties as well, which tend to be bigger. We have a media team there, you know, filming it all and, and taking photographs of it all. So I tend to manage the media for that, just making sure that everything, cause we obviously have sponsors that have certain requirements to be met as well. So just yes. making sure all of that is, and then I tend to at the shows, uh, write a couple of big yacht reports, um, as long as I have time, um, one or two. So and if I'm doing a yacht report for the magazine, I probably need two to three hours on a yacht, ideally. Yep. You know, if it's a big yacht, it takes it takes time to, to look at it in the, yeah. um, the correct details. I'll probably do a couple of them. And then um, obviously there's, particularly at Monaco, there's a kind of mad uh, press, you know, press schedule in terms of new conferences and stuff. Um, and mainly those are picked up um, kind of by the team that they're covering them. But obviously in between, I'd step, you know, when it's really stretched, was one morning last, I mean, last year, I think it was Thursday morning. And I think there were eight, you know, meant to be eight different press conferences at 9.30. And then you kind of have to divide between everyone as to as to who's doing what. And then a lot of the big shows, we boat has a stand there as well. So, um, you know, a bit of time on the stand, making sure that there's, you know, someone there who's kind of the, the face of, one of the faces of boat, I guess. Yeah, it's kind yeah. Of part of my role as well. But um, going back to Antigua, one of my roles there was um, I used to be one of the judges for the chef's competition. Oh, cool. <laughs> which was, yeah. Yeah. Which was really fun, but completely mad because you do 10 yachts a day, three courses a yacht. Oh, my goodness. so much food. Yeah. Yeah. My rule used to be no more than two mouthfuls of anything. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I just couldn't, couldn't no, make it blow through up. the day. Yeah. Um, <gasps> but yeah. And it was really funny because I used to be kind of guest judges each day. And... Um, You'd watch them start, and you'd be like, "As well, the more veteran I got, you'd watch them start, and be like, 'You're not gonna, you're not gonna make this.' <laughs> the food is obviously amazing, and obviously yeah. you want to eat it all. But I, yeah, yeah, I was so strict on my like two mouthfuls. You'd watch them, and if I boat kind of seven, they'd be sort of have kind of the meat sweat. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Oh my that goodness. Yeah, not wrong. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, and going back to um, your, you started here at Boat International in one role and you've yeah. transitioned quite a lot through haven't you yeah can you explain that transition that you've gone yeah. through so I was um yeah online charter char, sorry, online charter and destination editor even I can't remember it now uh and then I became travel and property editor uh which was a lot of fun so that was looking after there's a section called voyage which is sort of the back section of the magazine and that's all of our travel content um so yeah I did that for four years um so that, that was, involved 
basically writing beautiful travel features all over the world. So um, it used to be a combination of uh, writing when we invited on fam trips um, to working with tourist boards or luxury hotel groups. So um, I don't know, I did an amazing fam trip in the Kimberley in Australia, for example, um, back when Ocean Alliance were looking after a yacht up there. Um, and then I also did things, you know, Tahiti Tourism hosted me for a week in Tahiti, going all around there. Um, I did a trip up the United States, going, staying basically at all the kind of beautiful properties up along that coastline. So yeah, a real mixture, yeah, all over the world, Asia, everywhere. Um, so so do, do you find, I mean, when you're doing that, you're kind of, you are working, yeah. right? So you've got to analyse the hotel and the, yeah. and the location and, and write about it continuously and have these things in your head and write them down yeah. and all that sort of thing. Do you find now when you're actually supposed to be on holiday that you do that? Yeah, I am quite, I'm quite fussy. <laughs> and actually, I did get married. Yeah, when I was just travel editor, I got married. And we actually, we went to Ireland for our honeymoon because my husband was like, I'm not taking you anywhere that is anything like your work. Because I would just be there being like, this isn't actually quite. And I was so spoiled. I mean, some of the properties that I've stayed at. Um, but I do think I am fussy, but I'm not necessarily fussy. It's not really the luxury. I think what I've learned is the really little things. It's things around service um and and detail like attention to detail that's actually really and that doesn't necessarily have to be in a completely luxury setting it just has to be that things are well thought through it's like, i mean it still drives me mad if you go to a pub and they serve you your food having not given you cutlery it's one of my yes. like absolute but that's not a, you know that's not a six star service thing that's just a kind of basic have a system as a hospitality business have a system in place that works so that when someone places an order they get cutlery. exactly right yeah um yeah so yeah i am definitely still still fussy about those things um and yeah i do i do have moments but <laughs> and yeah. did the property side include um so when you say travel and property yeah. is that property real estate property yeah real or? the real estate side of property so yeah kind of looking um you know obviously a lot of our readers are multiple homeowners um so kind of looking at particularly that ultra prime side of the market um we used to do a kind of deep dive it's actually moved now to a different part of the magazine but we do a kind of deep dive focus on a different area um looking at what the prime market is doing and then you know highlighting some of the beautiful properties that are available there oh that would have been fun too yeah yeah it was good yeah. i didn't get to as i mean there were some that we tried to see in person um, but not as much. So yeah, it was more more the travel side that was that was in person. But yeah, it was um, it was a it was a really fun time in my life doing yeah. that. Um, it was a lot of long haul flights, um, and a lot of a lot of events missed back home. Lots of you know engagement parties and everything else. There. Yeah, yeah. There's but, always a sacrifice, yeah. isn't there? Um, yeah. But no, that yeah. was a lot of fun. And then I I kind of stayed doing that. Um, my role changed to senior editor because I was kind of getting more involved in kind of more cross business stuff. Um, and then. Yeah, stayed doing that and then had my daughter. So had a little period of maternity leave. Nice. Uh, and then when I came back, Caroline, who's our deputy editor, she went on maternity leave, so we died. We... Oh, so that's why you filled in as deputy yeah, editor so for a while. I then okay. was acting deputy editor while Caroline was off. Um, and then kind of fortunately over that period, I think the business had shifted and grown and that's kind of where it came this need for someone to kind of really take responsibility for the kind of digital content. So yeah, then moved across to then became my title and Caroline's now come back um and now Charlotte who's our features director is on maternity leave so we've we've timed it really well oh that's good yeah that's good yeah so so with the transition from working for the physical magazine to the yeah. digital do you do, do they cross over do you 
do things for digital that also goes into the physical or how does yeah, that work? Yeah, there definitely is. There's a lot of crossover and it's, you know, it's a small business. You're, you're in the office today. It's, you know, it's a big loop. Everyone talks to everyone. There's about 55 of us in the London office. So. Gosh, that's big. Yeah, it's big, but I know every, you know, I know everyone by name. I know, you know, it's it's pretty personal. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of print digital, yeah. So most of the big features in print will also run digitally. Um, and then depending on embargoes around photos and stuff, sometimes we'll run them first online before they run in print or vice versa. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of content sharing, but then there's also a big chunk of digital only content. Um, you know, it's a the website's a big piece. We did we did a million users last August. Wow. So it's it's a big. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's big. Um, and we probably do. We probably publish. Eight to ten pieces of content a day minimum. That's so long. yeah, it's yeah. it's um it's different to print and obviously yeah we use a lot of print content but it's also there's a lot of digital first content. Um and obviously like moving forwards the print product will, will always be the calling card of Bow International. It's beautiful, but yeah. obviously digital is where the, the will expect it to be see see growth. Yeah. Um, and that will grow. And that's kind of also I mean that's a really fun part about my job. There's print and digital, but also we have Boat Pro, which is our market intelligence service. Yes, that's um, really cool, isn't it? It's an app, yeah, isn't it? It's an app as well, yeah. yeah. So that's another big area for growth. And obviously I do a lot of uh, work with them kind of around building content for that and how we can help, you know, generate interest in that as a product. Um, Just explain to our listeners what that is exactly. Yeah, so it's it's a market intelligence product essentially. So it tracks the CPOP fleet um, across everything. So it has AIS, so it physically tracks exactly where they are in the world yeah. but it also tracks the life story of a yacht so it knows um every you know every time a yacht's been bought sold when it's gone in for refit when it's had a yard period um how much it's been on the market for how long it's stayed on the market for before it's been sold um so you can track from a brokerage perspective you can track kind of everything that's going on in terms of market data um, and then you can also, from a yard perspective, be looking at, you know, how many CPOs are going in for refit, where the trends are, and all of those different elements. So, yeah, it's... Um, and that's available to anyone? It's available to anyone, uh, but, it, yeah, with a subscription. It's a subscription, subscription base, fee. Base yeah. Model. yeah, yeah. That's amazing, because that's yeah. really useful for an owner to actually yeah. analyse what's happened with the boat. Yeah. And if they're saying the refit was done here. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, that's incredible intelligence, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think we'd had, you know, again, that's kind of a, you know, digital move forwards. You know, we've been, we've had the global order book. I have to remember now. So we publish that every January, which is basically looking at every yacht that's that's under construction. And we've been doing that for, I think, maybe 25 years. Maybe I have to have to double check that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think we'd had that kind of, that data. And then it was basically a case of using all that data and putting it in a format that obviously is useful, useful for people in the industry to be able to, to use and, and analyse. Yeah, it's fantastic. So wow. uh, that. And then we obviously have a big event side of the business as well. So I think we're up to 35 events this year. 35? Um, yes. Goodness gracious. So <laughs> yeah, obviously all over the world. All over the world. Um, yeah, and it's a mixture of obviously we do events for the owners club. Then we tend to do parties at the big yacht shows. And then we also are doing um, increasing kind of bespoke events. So um, I'm going to the Caribbean on Wednesday because we uh, are co-hosting an event with Belmont Hotels. Yep. Um, so we've got uh, 10 super yachts coming to their two properties um, in Anguilla and St. Martin and putting on a kind of fabulous three-day program from them to explore there. Oh, lovely. Um, so yeah, heading there Wednesday. And then we obviously do some conferences as well. So we just had the Super Yacht Design Festival in Cortina in February. Uh, and then we have the Explorer Yacht Summit, which I tend to look after all the content for. And that's in Monaco in November. So 
yeah, it's a real kind of spectrum of, of everything. But yeah. Um, as a, and obviously the World CPO Awards as well, which are kind of our, our showpiece events. So, yeah. Um, and obviously the events team do a fabulous job at putting all of that together. But there's obviously a lot of kind of collateral that goes around that in terms of kind of communication and marketing and, and content to talk about all of those as well. So, yeah, my role is pretty, pretty varied across the different elements of the business. It's it really is, of, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah. Pretty, keeps me busy. Yeah, not wrong. And and so that exa- as an example, that event where the super yachts are going to the Belmont hotels yeah. um, is is that do you invite the super yacht owners yeah. directly or how, how does that happen yeah we invite them directly they're all they're all i think they're all members of our owners club so yeah they're all invited yeah. directly to come and yeah. it's really lovely to hear about your owners club because i think um super yacht owners um it, it's kind of interesting that their their life is can be sometimes a little bit insular mm. because of their wealth right mm. so um it's nice that they've got that group yeah, I is think that... what I really love about it is you can't, you know, building a super yacht has to be a passion for building or even buying, a, owning a super yacht has to be a passion project, right? Because yeah. it's not financially. <laughs> oh, no, it's done. It's, it's yes, probably, there's no sense probably not to the it. Clever, cleverest decision you're ever, not sure whether I meant to say that, but I don't think, I don't think anyone would be surprised to hear that. Yeah. But, you know, you, you have to love it, otherwise you wouldn't do it. And yes. particularly if you've gone through the build process. And you've, you know, you've decided the exact detailing for your staircase, or whatever. There's not very many people that you can discuss that with. And I think that yes. is something really nice about the owners club that you put these whole, this whole group of people that are really passionate about the same thing in a room. Yeah. And as you say, there's, there's not many opportunities for them to have those kind of discussions. No, because it can, there can be little things that mm. you can do on a super yacht that make such an incredible difference yeah. to your lifestyle on it. Yeah, um, or even talking about, you know, who's providing your satellite communications or, or you know, silly things like that. Yeah. But it gives them an opportunity to discuss that with people that are out there and doing the same things or destinations that they've been to and they've, they've loved or enjoyed or, or they haven't loved as much or they got something wrong and they risked actually they'd done the itinerary north-south, not south-north or, you know, there's so many bits of information like that that you just... How do you normally have that conversation? Absolutely, it's, yeah. It's not a normal conversation. To no, have. no. And the provisioning company you used yeah. in that particular location was yeah. great um, and all those sorts of things. So they'll pass on suppliers and all those sorts yeah. of things to each other. I think it's really, it's really useful little group to have yeah. there. That's amazing. Yeah. So um, in terms of your um, role here now, what do, what do you see the future of uh, Boat International being? Do you see... Do you see it becoming, um, uh, do you think it will always be as it is now? Or do you think it will change slightly in, in direction in the future? I think, I mean, it has to it has to change because everything has to change and as much as I'd love everything to stay exactly as it is. And I think, you know, I think we have to be realistic that the next few years for the industry as a whole, the industry is going to have to change, um, you, know, in, in, you know, in terms of environmentally, the super industry is not there are amazing amazing things happening yeah but i think the super industry is still behind the automotive industry in terms of you know looking at hybrid or electric or you know all those different options that are out there um and i think the industry it is now embracing that but it, it really is going to have to 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 keep going but i think that's really exciting and yeah. i think there's already people doing amazing things and i think that will just increasingly become but i think that that is going to change the industry in a way that the industry will not be recognisable as it is now in 20 years' time. Yeah, because we've, we've got a real challenge ahead with us for that because 
electric electric is not necessarily the answer. No, for, you're for never going to so, know. So, well, it's not. It's not the answer. No. So, um, so that's something that needs to be explored. And I know there's a lot of people like Acomia and people like that doing studies yeah. at the moment to go into that space. Well, yeah, and you know, then you have hydrogen or methanol as you know the kind of two others, but they both mm. have significant challenges to mm. to overcome. So, there's definitely not an easy solution. Yeah. But th- there are solutions out there and it will, you know, I think, as I say, I think it's really exciting that, you know, there will be these, I think there will be these huge leaps in, you know, in advancement kind of moving forwards. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the industry generally is, it is going to be a tough few years while, while they find, you know, find that way forward. Yeah. Um, and obviously as the publication and kind of the voice of that, we have a, a challenge as well as to how we, how we cover, how we cover that and hopefully, you know, are a positive force in that as well. Yeah. Moving forward. So because there's so much positivity in super yachts, mm. I, I I often don't think is perhaps talked about enough. In that, um, you know, one super yacht supports an awful lot of people yeah. in work, right? Not just the crew on board, but the people that have built it, the people that have built the things inside it, um, the people that provision it. There's so many people that are supported no, through that one what super yacht. I always try and talk about, you know, when people talk to me about it negatively, if I'm out, you know, not necessarily if I'm just out about in my day to day life. And I do try and explain that it is this huge pyramid that, but the problem is you just see the big white boat on the water and you don't necessarily mm. understand, unless you're in the industry like we are and you're seeing it every day and you're seeing, you know, it employs me, it employs, yeah. <laughs> employs everyone in this building, but it also employs, you know, thousands of people in Holland building. And as you say, also all the beautiful things that go on board mm. super yachts as well. So it is a huge kind of pyramid underneath. But I think the problem is from the outside, you do just see, the white boat sitting on top of the water and you don't yes. necessarily understand that and there is a kind of education piece to be done around that and to kind of explain explaining the industry and explaining um you know more generally about it and the industry also try you know i hosted a round table back in november about gender and diversity um you know and there is a lot of work to be done there as well um both in terms of explaining the industry and also also improving it in terms of that side of things i agree yeah there's a lot to be done there isn't there to bring other groups um, into boating yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so so much to be done yeah gosh we're going to be busy aren't we <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of your um you talked about doing um, boat reports when you're at boat shows yeah. do you think because I, I I think I do this but do you think you as a woman bring a different perspective to those boat reports to a guy that might do that I think for me, I'm not sure I do it so much as a woman. I've never been asked that before. I'm not sure I do it so much as a woman. I think as a as the fraud that I am. <laughs> okay, yeah. I think I bring a different perspective because I think I think much more about how I'd want to spend on time and obviously having the travel background as well. I look a lot more at it almost like a super luxury hotel and how I'd want to spend time on board and whether the areas are comfortable and whether it has a sensible flow to me. And I think I think about it much more in terms of that rather than potentially some of my colleagues that come more from the kind of hardcore yachting side. And they, you know, they really love the nitty gritty of the engine room and that side. And that that isn't something I don't think that's a gender thing. I think that's just a like background thing that I look at it much more as a kind of almost a hospitality experience. 
And then I also, the other thing I look at is I love the story behind, you know, why a yacht's been built that way, why an owner's decided to do that. What's, you know, what's the story? What's the motivation? What's that side? And again, maybe because I'm not, because I'm a fraud, that's the bit that I find really exciting and really gripping. So I think that is the way that I tend to write. But yeah, I'm not sure that's gender related. I think that's just my my kind of background related. I, yeah, I'm going to reframe it. You're not a fraud. You're a really good journalist, right? So you're bringing it to from that angle, yeah. the story. Yeah. You you love the story and the the getting into that. So I think that's where you actually bring your strength yeah. to it and and tell us tell tell the the report in a completely different way to some the way somebody else might. Yeah. Yeah. That's just looking at it from pure boat point of view. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, well, I hope so. I hope yeah. that's what I do. Yeah. And I love, I mean, some of the features that I really, I don't get the opportunity to write that much anymore because I'm kind of busy trying to do everything else. But, um, yeah. you know, I loved, I wrote a really good, really, really interesting feature last year on um, Adnan Khashoggi's super yacht, Nabila, when that was built. And kind of went back and spoke to lots of people I found who'd been one of his captains at the time and, and spoke to Joff Beckett from Burgess and he'd actually sold the yacht onto Trump. And I love doing pieces like that where you kind of, dig back and you find all these little people that have you know tiny memories from that period and then kind of piecing that all together to retell that story um i find those kind of pieces really fun because yeah. there are some fat you know the super yacht industry has a fascinating kind of history behind it with some of those those super yachts as well yeah that would be so interesting yeah. digging into that sort of thing yeah. and finding all those people and because the, the you know the captains that have been on board and all those they they do very get very attached to yeah the vessel don't they so there's and and they'll have seen so many different things um on board um and yeah some fascinating stories behind it all so i love that that you're bringing that depth of the story to the magazine which is just fantastic yeah um so uh, this is a podcast i enjoy listening to your podcast (laughs) Um, why, I mean, you've got an incredibly successful magazine, you've got an incredibly successful um, digital magazine. Why did you start the podcast? So the podcast was actually started during COVID. Um, I think like so many people, and I mean, I have to admit at this point, I actually missed, so I had my daughter in the middle of COVID. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I kind of missed, in a way, it was kind of the perfect time for the business because, um, you know, not you, we're so limited as to what we could do. Um, but yeah, it was it was an idea born out of COVID of that we needed to because we weren't out there seeing people. You know, normally in the office we were all traveling so much and out there seeing everyone, connecting with the industry, and that we weren't having that connection. So I guess it was another way of kind of getting our voice out there and, and keeping that connection. So yeah, it's when it first started, it was kind of everyone in their cupboards at home. <laughs> <laughs> Charlotte, who was the features director, she was, she's moved now. She was in a kind of flat and I think there was someone in her building who, you know, clearly was struggling more than others. And he was sort of, she always tells the story of he was sort of wandering around, sort of banging the walls of the corridor and she was there being like, please be quiet. I'm doing a podcast. I'm trying to record a podcast here. (laughs) Just, yeah, kind of mad. Just when you look back, there's so many, I'm sure everyone has stories. There's so many weird things that happened during COVID, but yeah, recording podcasts and wardrobes was was probably up there. (laughs) Um, interesting my podcast producer does say if you need to record something yeah, pop in the wardrobe yeah, yeah. because the clothes absorb the, yeah. the noise no it wasn't they? I mean we yeah. haven't completely lost it we yeah. were, there, was some, <laughs> there was some reasoning behind it but um, yeah but yeah but no it's a, it's a lot of fun doing the podcast and um, I, yeah I really enjoy it because it's a great way of kind of every week make it also really makes me keep up to date with everything every week and go for news and everything else and 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, you guys seem to have a lot of fun when you're actually recording it. Yeah. And um, and you've got a beautiful um, level, open honesty to it that, yeah. um, uh, you know, that I remember Stuart saying once, um, I think it was on the very first podcast, he said, um, I think the issue's coming out day after tomorrow. I should know that because I am the editor. And it was so just open and honest yeah, and yeah. beautiful, you know, that it makes you all very relatable to your audience. So yeah. I thought that was gorgeous. Yeah. I think the main thing, I, I've all, I always butcher your names. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just can't. Yeah. And I can, see, I can see it coming. And particularly the news, we kind of divvy out the news and I always try and... I, Try and flip the the script so that Stuart has the more difficult names. <laughs> Love it. It's a kind of an Italian launch, and there's like six different Italian names in there. I'm like, no, Stuart, you do that one because I yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to get through that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. So you look after the digital actual magazine. Do you get involved in the digital media side as well, or is that a completely different team? How do you mean? So I look after Insta- boatinternational.com. Yeah. So, so you look after the website, but yeah. in terms of the Instagram, Facebook, all those oh, sorts right. of things, so, yeah. who, do, who so, does that? Uh, so my lovely head of social, Adam, um, okay. and then he's assisted by our social media exec, Naomi. So yeah, we have a team of two that look after all of our social media, uh, which actually is a big, you know, similarly is a, is a big role now. Um, and kind of balancing, again, simply balancing content with obviously, you know, we have a commercial side to what we do as well. And um, yeah, they work very hard maintaining maintaining that balance and, gen- you know, generating unique content for the industry. Yeah, yeah. Because it is, um, and and I guess if you've got lots of limitations on to what photographs you can use, what can't, yeah. you can't use, all those sorts of things. That would be a, a, a managing process in itself, I would have thought. Yeah, definitely. And I think... Um, you know, there's an element as well that we're a brand and we have a very identifiable brand values. So it's really important to us that we maintain that. And, you know, social media is a funny one in that there's obviously, a, you know, it's followers and numbers and more and more, but also making sure that we're doing that in a way that feels that feels right for the brand and is, yeah, is in line with our kind of brand values as well. Mm. Um, and yet they do, they do a brilliant job at, at doing that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, it keeps them pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, because the um, social media is a very hungry beast, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it's also, you know, a lot of our audience, you know, we're based in London. A lot of our audience is Americans, you know, and obviously you can schedule and stuff, but there is an element of kind of constantly needing to have a bit of an eye in case something, you know, something's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So talking of that content and continuously creating con- that content, how do you keep that that creativity of coming up with a different way of talking about something? Because obviously you've got a limited, um, I guess, subject matter. Yeah although it is broader now with the luxury items in it yeah. as well. But um, how do you, how do, you, do you have like a, a monthly meeting where you go, all right, let's do yeah, this? Or so, how, how I does mean, that from work? my perspective, um, we, have a, we have a daily Teams meeting for the digital side where we go through what we're going to cover that day. Um, and that's kind of across news. We also cover brokerage, so new listings, sales, et cetera. Um, and then kind of that's the news and the brokerage side obviously is a kind of constant. And then team always have kind of longer more in-depth features that they're also working on as well so we have that kind of daily collab where we talk about things and then we have probably bigger planning meetings once a quarter kind of looking to those features and a lot of it comes from I think that's why it was so hard during COVID because I'd say a lot of it comes from conversations Mm -hmm. you know it comes from having had a chat with someone at a conference or a boat show on the dock or or you have three different little bits of a conversation with someone you're like oh maybe that's a trend or that's a theme or or that's something that I'm seeing. Um, and similarly with the magazine as well, we have kind of feature planning sessions, you know, every 
every quarter. Yeah. Um, and everyone kind of feeds into that and it's very collaborative. But I do think a lot of it comes from being out there and seeing it. You know, it's very hard just to sit in a room by yourself and think about things that you want to say about the supermarket industry. You kind of need to be out there experiencing it. I agree. Yeah. really know that. And then I guess the other thing we have on the digital side is, um, you know, we have analytics. So we see how everything performs, what's resonating, what people are, you know, one of the key metrics I look at is time on page. So, you know, are people really digesting and getting involved with that content? And it's it's that content that we really need to be our focus because that's what we want to be producing is is that content that's really engaging our core readership. And the data is great like that yeah. now, isn't it? That you yeah. can actually see, because you can't tell how long somebody spends no. actually on a page in the magazine, but you can tell yeah. that digitally. Yeah, and that does, you know, and digitally that yeah. does, you know, that obviously then impacts, you know, how we create or where we put it. Because you, you could never create too much content, but obviously there's a limit to how much everyone can create. So it's just kind of constantly refining where you put that focus yeah. to make sure that you're, yeah, kind of maximising what, what our readership wants. Yeah. And talking of trends, I know in that in that in the smaller boat space, when I say smaller boat, I'm talking about, you know, 40, 30 feet, yeah. that sort of level. Um, we're seeing a lot more boat club orientation, a lot more boat share orientation. Is that trend transitioning through to super yachts as well yet or not no. so much? So there's been several companies kind of over certainly kind of over my life cycle at boat that have kind of tried to come in and try to do things around that shared ownership because it seems like a no-brainer right yeah because there are a lot of owners who do not spend enough time on this to, to make it worthwhile so you're thinking well yeah if you can share that and share that burden and none of them have really been that successful and I I don't I can't put my finger on what and why that that fractional ownership thing hasn't worked but at the moment there isn't it's not there's not a successful front runner that, that is owning that space. But yeah. again, that might be something, you know, we're talking about changing. That might be something that changes. The, my only presumption as to why that can't work is because super yachts are such, such a luxury that by the time you're at that point, you're like, no, I just want it. Yeah, I, want I want it, want it my it way. Myself. I want it to yeah. myself. I want to know exactly where it is. Exact, you know, I, I need to, to be in control of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I can see that, you know, a lot of our owners run huge multinational businesses so they're a both very used to being in control of many things yes. all things yes and b you know when you have that i think everyone's time is precious and you know none of us i don't get enough family time or holiday time but when you do you know if you're at that level you you really want you it want, to be perfect yeah you want your boat to be, yeah. be available right now yeah. yeah yeah and in terms of i guess another challenge i can see in in the future is birthing right yeah because there are more and more and more super yachts being ordered. Yeah. Um, the Med seems to be very, very busy at this stage. Um, are super yacht owners therefore looking to new territories for places to go and places to keep their boats? I think people, I mean, definitely there's there's been a massive kind of uprising. You know, you can see that through the growth in the Explorer yacht market. Yeah. There's a lot more owners that are looking to go and do different things. I don't think that's necessarily driven by birthing. I think that's more being driven by... And this is probably a bit of a generalization, but but I'll run with it, is that basically we're seeing younger and younger owners come into the industry. So whereas before you were maybe 65, 70, before you were buying your first super yacht, you're now doing that at 35, 40. Yeah. And if you're doing it at that age, you chance are you've probably got a family, you've probably got younger children, and therefore you don't necessarily just want to go and sit in saint Pay for two weeks. You actually want to go and be able to do things and take your children diving and show them different things and different cultures and different experiences. And I think that is very much fueling a kind of rise in 
not just doing the traditional milk run of the med and then across to the Caribbean. And there's lots of yachts that still do that. And that's beautiful. And I can understand why they do that. But there is definitely a new chunk of owners that actually are looking for something different and looking for something a lot more kind of experience driven as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because I spoke to my good friend that um, imports Cantiero de la Marques into yeah. Australia, Paul. And he said, you know, the, the demand for those yeah. yachts now is is so much greater yeah. because of that interest in not just boating but boating with experiences yeah. and those yachts allow them to do that, um, that, that increase the range that they go and all those sorts of things that is, is really exciting. And that's why um, we're excited in Australia because Australia is becoming yeah. a very new kind of destination, even though we've always been there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is, there is. Um, I do well, love that. We say that all the time, like new destinations. Yeah. You're like, it's not, it's not new. Like. Mind you, the government made it very, yeah. very hard for True. super yachts to come into Australia for a very long time. Um, and thanks to the work of... Um, you know, the Super Yacht Association, all that sort of thing, yeah. they have done some incredible work to make it such that because they said if, if you let them in, they'll bring the money. Don't yeah. worry. You know, you don't have to because I think they had used to have to have pay um, the GST yeah, of the value yeah, yeah, of, of the, the vessel. vessel before they arrived, which was crazy. Yeah. I mean, so um, so now that's that's been changed and there's different ways that they're doing it and that means it's far more um, receptive to super yachts coming into Australia and we have some amazing amazing destinations to explore but it's huge yeah. so those explorer yachts are a perfect option for actually achieving that range to getting from Sydney to yeah you know um, yeah. Hamilton Island that that's a trek so yeah. <laughs> so, so it's great that uh, that those explorer yachts are becoming so popular yeah. So, yeah, it's very exciting for us as, as a destination, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's amazing to, not that it's close, but, you know, there's that huge, it's a huge part of the world. You know, if you look at kind of going through Asia, Australia, New Zealand, and then, you know, then you've got all of Fiji, Tahiti as well. It's, you know, you could easily do two, three years down there. Absolutely. And still, and still miss huge, you know, not cover huge areas of it. Yeah, just cover that little bit of, yeah. of um, you know, New Caledonia, South yeah. Pacific. Um, we've got uh, Fiji, as you say, PNG, all yeah. those, all those areas around there are just spectacular. But we do have some um, interesting challenges. We do have to point point out to super owners things like you know if you are going to Northern Territory, you can't actually put the rubber tender into the water. You're going to need a solid one because yeah. the crocs will get you. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> So, so yeah, it is. It is a different location, but it's a very exciting one for yeah. super yacht owners to explore. I yeah. do. Yeah, I'd say that I went to the Kimberley, and it, it was in, it was incredible. It's one of the most amazing things that I've done in my time at boat. But yeah, the Crocs there are quite something. Yeah, and I'd met about six weeks before I went out. I'd met a crew member at one of the shows, I think it's at the show in Barcelona, and she'd been attacked by a Croc in the Kimberleys, and kind of retold me this whole story and showed me her like scar she had her like skin graft but still had scarring and stuff oh. so yeah I just spent the entire time <laughs> like, crocodile crocodile we, we like to be scary in Australia yeah, yeah. all those spiders you keep hearing about and their snakes we never see them we literally never see them but the they opposite. do exist it's the opposite to New Zealand though where you go and anything that's remotely bad in New Zealand it's the it's the Brits fault so they're like <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, the British, I know, like rats or something. They're like, yeah, yeah, the British bought them. <laughs> like anything. <laughs> We're like, sorry. <laughs> oh, 
classic. <laughs> so you obviously love working with your team. You love being part of this industry. What do you, I mean, what do you, what do you really passionately feel about this particular industry that you'd love to share with people that are perhaps considering coming into it? I think just not to judge the book by its cover, if that makes sense. I do think the, the cover or, you know, however you want to name about the secret industry does sometimes come off really wrong. And I think it's a lot more down to earth than people realise. It's not, of, co- of course, there's glamorous elements and there's Monaco and everything else, but it's not necessarily full of just super glamorous people doing that. You know, there's people that are hugely talented in this industry at what, whatever they do that, be that exterior design or interior design or bespoke, you know, bespoke furniture, or, you know, people that are doing things, you know, more in the shipyards or background. There's a huge amount of kind of talent in this industry and people that are really down to earth and hard working. It's not, it's not just kind of stilettos and handbag dogs and, and, and all of that in Monaco. And I think, yeah, kind of come and see that for yourself and, you would you would get a different understanding of what of what the industry actually is because if it wasn't like that I wouldn't still be here and I <laughs> I think you know I do kind of fit into it and that's you know that's not my style to be you know it it's got a lot more to it than than the surface I agree that's a great way of saying it don't judge the book by its cover yeah, yeah. especially from a magazine yeah <laughs> <laughs> although <laughs> yeah Stuart's gonna be delighted that I said that I think the covers are beautiful. <laughs> judge that by its cover. Judge, judge the magazine by its cover, but, but not, not the, the industry, industry by yeah. its cover. That's a very good way of saying it because because your your magazine is beautiful and, it, and you do judge it by the cover because it's just stunning every time you see it. But, um, but yeah, not to, to make assumptions about the people yeah. that are involved in it because, yeah, like you say, there are some amazing people with amazing talents and... And they're so interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I find so many interesting people in this industry. Um, and every time I do uh, a podcast interview, I learn so much from the other person. Um, and I think it's uh, I think there's an expanse of knowledge across this industry, which it's very hard for me to understand if that could exist on in, on another industry because it's massive. There's so many different areas yeah. that a super yacht covers. I don't think there's an industry, like I can't think of another industry like it. I mean, I guess maybe something like Formula One, that kind of that kind of side. But again, that's it's not got that, that ownership level. It is, it is completely unique as an industry. Yeah, it really is. Because, yeah, there's, there's so many systems on a super yacht. Yeah. There's so many locations they go to. There's so many services they need. There's so many styling and, I mean, just designing a super yacht has got so many different elements to it with so many people involved in that. Um, And I don't think people really understand part of that process um, in terms of the boat is built in a yard, but a whole bunch of other people come into that process, don't they, Um, to make it happen. So it's very exciting. Very yeah, cool. and there's so many small small details. Um, you know, one of the yacht reports I wrote last year was Come Together, which is the first Amel 60, um, and it's an S from Wayno design, and then Winch has done the interior of that one. And that's a real example of that, that you might first look around it and think, like, oh, maybe it's a little bit plain, but actually every piece of wood is carved a certain way, or then there's a texture with a bit of leather and just every detail, and then they were mirrored... So you'd see something, you know, maybe in a guest cabin that then is on the Sunday, but only a tiny little touch, but your brain subconsciously is making that link all the time. And that, yeah, that level of detail is just, and I think it's probably, you know, even higher. I'm sure you do see it in real estate, 
but it is almost a level higher on a yacht. Than oh, it is. I always, I always say I wish we built our houses like we do our yachts because the, the detail is just spectacular. Yeah. I mean, they would be, I guess they would be very expensive, wouldn't they? Yeah. If we did. Yeah. <laughs> Not that they're not, especially in Sydney. Oh my goodness! But um, but yeah, it it is a different level on yeah. so many levels. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's so good, um, Osfar. It's been so good talking to you today. I really appreciate oh, well, your thank time. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, sorry that we've we've dragged you into the podcast cupboard. <laughs> So it's in the office. Speaking of the wardrobe it, at home. We call, it the, we call it the studio, but it is, just so everyone's aware, it's very much a, a kind of cupboard. <laughs> no, it's been lovely talking to you. And um, can I put you on the spot and, and give me one of your favourite soapy yachts that you love? Um, I love Vertigo. Oh. Which is, say, a sailing yacht. I can't think when she was delivered quite a while ago now. Um, but she's just beautiful, has very kind of clean interior um and i had a hilarious dinner on her once at antigua yacht show where we ended up doing a, a handstand competition in the jacuzzi at about 4am so <laughs> I love she's that. a beautiful yacht and i have yeah she i mean she's probably completely changed crew and captain now this was a long time ago back back in my youth but um yeah she's she's always my kind of go-to go-to pick as a favorite she's beautiful oh love it love it well, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. It's been awesome talking to you. Um, and we look forward to seeing many more Boat International magazines in the future, as well as the digital versions. Tell the audience, please, where they can get hold of one of those fantastic magazines. So the magazines, you can either subscribe uh, by the website. So if you head to boatinternational.com, there's lots of lots of ways that will divide you to subscribe. Or it's available on newsstand, most major um, airports and most big transport hubs in the UK. And then obviously all the digital side is always there at boatinternational.com. So, yeah, because yeah. I'm subscribed to the digital version because, of course, yeah. being in Australia, it doesn't get sent yeah. out there. So, And we always yeah. have a daily newsletter as well. So if you want all the news every morning in your inbox, um, then, yeah, subscribe on the website. Yeah, I do that too. And, it's yeah, yeah it keeps landing and it's very interesting. It's all the things. That it, it's amazing that there is so much going on all yeah. of the time. And that you're reporting on it. So, yeah, it's, yeah. In, it's incredible how much content yeah. you guys are I'd producing. I say every morning, but presumably you get it every evening. I do. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work. But that's fine because that's probably the time I'm actually going to yeah. get to read it. So, yeah, so it's very, very good. Um, but, yeah, I love it. Yeah, really good. And so that's our interview with Sophia. I hope we'll see you on the water soon. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Boat Princess podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you'd like to know more about what I do and where I am, then you can follow me on Instagram at the Boat Princess. You can also sign up to my newsletter on my website, which is theboatprincess.com. Take care of yourselves, everyone, and hopefully we'll see you on the water soon. Mm-hmm.